Well, good morning and welcome to worship at Calvary, wherever you are at, whether you're in the chapel in Golden Valley or you're at our Minnetonka campus or you're watching somewhere else online. We're so glad that you have joined us today and we believe that God has something special in store for every one of you. You know, it's so great to be back with you. If you've been worshiping with us this summer, you know that through August, we've gotten to hear from a bunch of our different preachers here on staff. And we are so incredibly blessed to have such talented folks. Some of you are probably thinking, oh no, we have this guy back again. But you know, it's such a blessing to be a part of this staff with such great communicators and just great to watch their growth. And also excited again to be back with you today. We're gonna take a pause in our worship experience like we do each time we gather. And that is so that we have the opportunity to invest into God's mission. I think it's super important for us to pause and to remember that everything we have is is really God's in the first place. He just entrusts it to our care. That's why it's called stewardship. We're called to be good stewards of what he has placed in our hands. And so one of the ways that we can grow in our faith and our trust, and we can be a part of what God is doing in the world is to give our first and our best portion to him. I think sometimes what we end up doing is we give our leftovers, or maybe we give God a little tip when things are going well. But what he wants us to do is to give our first and our best, and then he promises to bless the rest. And so if you have a gift that you'd like to give God's mission today, we can uh, do that in a number of ways. If you're worshiping in person at one of our sites, you can drop off your offering in one of the boxes on your way out of your worship space. If you're online or even if you're in person, you can also give online at calvary.org slash give. And we're so thankful for the huge number of people that generously invest into the mission here at Calvary. So thank you for that. Well, I want to start with a question this morning. And the question is, how did you get to Calvary? Now, I don't mean like, did you take a car or a bike? But I mean, when you first started coming to Calvary, how did you come here? I'm willing to bet that most people's answer is that someone else invited them. Someone said, you know what? I'm having this great experience at a church. You know, there's, there's all these things going on and I'm learning so much. Why don't you come with me? A majority of people who end up going to any particular church do so because they were invited. It's not because of the building. It's not because of the leadership. It's not because of the music. It's because of a personal invitation. Now, when you think about the person who invited you to Calvary, now, some of you, maybe today's your first day and you know this last week, someone invited you to come. Now, for others of you, it could be 10, 20, 40, 60 years ago that someone invited you. When you think about that person, you're not angry with them, right? You're grateful that they stepped out, had the courage to come and say, hey, join me at church, You're probably grateful that they would take the time that they would think of you. And then many of you have gone and done the same thing. You've invited your friends and your neighbors and your family members to come and see, to come and join us here at church. And so I want to encourage you to keep it up, to keep on inviting people to meet Jesus. Keep on inviting people to come and see. Well, this is the last week 
in a series that we're calling Staycation. And the heart of this series is the idea that all of us are called to be missionaries wherever we are at. We're called to be missionaries in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and even in our schools. You know, being a missionary doesn't mean you have to get a passport. It doesn't mean you have to buy a plane ticket. No, you are sent out to be a part of God's mission wherever you go on an everyday basis. And so there's a biblical model that I want to talk with you about today. It's a, a biblical model that every one of us can practice as we seek to be a part of God's mission. And this is exactly how the church has grown and grown over the years, ever since the time of Jesus. And you see, this is not a story of manipulation. It's not a story of coercion. It's not about arguing and debating and fighting with people because those things don't work in the long run. No, this is about two important words, invest and invite. We are to focus on these two things as we seek to reach people with the good news of Jesus. Invest and invite. This is about investing into building relationships with people who are far from God. Investing into getting to know people's stories, finding out their felt needs, becoming trusted and friendly with people that we might not start out knowing in the first place. But it doesn't stop there. We also need to be inviting. When the Holy Spirit opens the door, when there's an opportunity, we need to be willing to step out in courage and to invite people to come and see. You see, this is exactly how the first followers of Jesus multiplied and became the church. So in the Gospel of John, John introduces us to a guy named John the Baptist. And we're going to read about him and his story in John chapter one. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I would encourage you to turn with me to the fourth gospel, the gospel of John chapter one. Now, John the Baptist was sent by God to announce the good news that the Messiah was coming. Now, this is a huge deal because it had been 500 years since God had last sent a prophet to his people. And so they had been waiting desperately for the next move of God. They had been waiting desperately for the Messiah to finally show up. So John started baptizing people in the river Jordan for the forgiveness of their sins. And he was a unique character. People noticed him because he wore camel hair clothes, if you can imagine. And he ate locusts and honey. He was this total wild man. And the religious leaders of the day, they were wondering what in the world is going on as more and more people would come to be a part of what John was doing. So they sent some people to investigate, to check it out. What is going on here? And what they found out is they didn't think John the Baptist was much of a threat. I mean, he was just kind of an eccentric guy. He's eating insects. He's dunking people in the river. It's kind of a first century Woodstock, but probably nothing to be worried about. But then in John chapter one, verse 29, John sees Jesus from a distance. Jesus is coming towards him and he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And with those words, everything changed. It caught the attention of the religious leaders because to say something like this was blasphemy and it meant a death sentence. You see, the lives of the Jewish people was formed around a system of sacrifices. And through blood sacrifices, people could be made right in the eyes of God. They believed that the death of an animal would provide atonement for their sins. And so John is now saying loudly to everyone, you see this guy that's coming? You see that guy over there? He is the Messiah. And not only that, he's the one you've been waiting for. And he is the perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. So you're not gonna have to keep on sacrificing animals anymore. No, he is good once and for all. Your sins will be forgiven once and for all. And this caught everybody's attention because this was revolutionary It would have made everybody super curious, but also very nervous because you could be risking your life to even think about something like that. So when Jesus appears on the scene in John 1.29, you notice he's, he's by himself at this point. He doesn't have any followers at all. But then let's go forward a little bit into verse 35. And we see that John the Baptist is now hanging out with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist is winning at this point with two disciples to Jesus's zero disciples. And Jesus then walks by and John looks at him again. And look, he says, there is the lamb of God. He's keeping up that same dangerous messaging. But you see, when John's disciples heard this again about Jesus, they ran after Jesus. They had to see this for themselves. This is such huge news. So they started following Jesus down the road. And Jesus suddenly sensed their presence and he he turned around and he asked them, what do you want? What are you guys doing? Why are you following me? And they replied, Rabbi, which just means teacher, where are you staying? You see, they are so curious about what Jesus is up to, they want to follow him wherever he's going. They want to learn more about this one that their mentor, John the Baptist, is calling the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And Jesus doesn't respond with some lengthy explanation. He doesn't give them some sort of contract to sign with all sorts of legal language. No, he just simply turns to them and he says one thing. He turns to them and says, come and see. Come and see. See, it's invitational. Jesus wants them to follow him. And with that, they decide to follow Jesus and become his disciples And now Jesus has his very first two followers. Now in the next half of verse 39, it says they remained with him the rest of the day. They're in. They want to spend the day with Jesus. Now, I think any one of us would be super interested in doing just that, right? Have you ever been asked the very cliche question, if you could spend 
you know, um, if you could share a meal with anyone in all of history, who would it be? And I think a high percentage of people would say, Jesus, I would love to have dinner. I'd love to spend time with Jesus. And that's exactly what these two disciples get to do. But don't forget, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is still alive and he's still present with us through the Holy Spirit. And the good news of his resurrection is that we are not alone that we can spend time in his presence, that we are able to experience him just like the very first disciples did. But we're gonna get more into that in a little bit. Now, these first two followers' names are Andrew and Philip. So look at verses 41 and 42, where we read that Andrew then went and told his brother Peter, Now, Peter was first called Simon. So he went and said, we have found the Messiah. And then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. He's like, we found the guy we've been waiting for and you have to come with me to come and meet him. And you can imagine Peter maybe kind of dragging his feet a little bit. And yet Philip is pu- or Andrew is pulling him, saying, nope, you can't wait another second. You need to come right now. So he brought Peter to Jesus, and Jesus showed him that he was worthy of all of the hype. Just one encounter, one experience with Jesus, and now Peter is all in. Well, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, which is the northernmost part of Israel, It's about 60 miles away from where they were going to start, you know, which is a very, very long trip if you're going to walk the whole way there. And so as he got ready to leave, Jesus went and found Philip and he said to him, come follow me. Again, it's an invitation. He's inviting him to join him on this trip. But think about this, walking to Galilee is the equivalent, if you're at our Golden Valley campus, of walking all the way to Rush City. And if you're at our Minnetonka campus, it's the equivalent of walking all the way to Cambridge. It would take you 20 hours of continuous, pretty fast walking. But Peter is so excited about the invitation, he drops everything and he goes and... and finds Nathanael and tells him about Jesus. But look at how does Nathanael respond? Nathanael says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, I think we can understand this line of thinking when we think about, you know, maybe the town we grew up in or maybe our high school, maybe our college, and think about your biggest rival. You know, some of you might think like Edina, can anything good come out of Edina? or fill in the blank. And so Nathaniel's not exactly convinced. And what does Philip say? He doesn't try to argue. He doesn't try to debate him. He says, come and see for yourself. There's the invitation. Just come and see for yourself. And so Nathaniel decides to follow Jesus. This is how the first disciples came to follow Jesus. Andrew invited Peter, Philip invited Nathaniel, and Jesus was inviting them all to come 
and see. Come and experience what he's all about. And this happened again and again and again. And this strategy in the early church never got more complicated. It was just a simple process of investing and inviting And as Jesus' followers grew and grew from dozens to hundreds to thousands to millions and now to billions, it's been the same process of investing and inviting. They didn't have to explain everything that they had personally experienced. They just simply invited friends and neighbors and family members to come and see for themselves. They told people, you know, I've experienced a grace and a mercy. I've experienced something that is beyond words even. And I think that's exactly what you need to experience. But you know what? Don't take my word for it. Come and see for yourself. And so the church continued to grow. The Holy Spirit came in power. They faced great persecution. There were all sorts of different experiences along the way. And a big churchy word that's given for spreading the gospel, a word that brings a lot of emotions to people, is the word evangelism. Now that word evangelism might cause some of you to break out into a sweat because you remember somebody coming to your door and you couldn't get them to leave. Or maybe it brings anger to you because you remember somebody coming up to you on the street and bothering you. But you see, the word evangelism simply comes from a Greek word that means to share the good news. Originally, the good news was spread by investing and inviting, telling people to come and see. But you know, like human beings often do, we overly complicated things and made it way more difficult. Suddenly, there were scripts to memorize. There were arguments to be made We were told we needed to be more confrontative. But you know, is that what Jesus did? No, not at all, right? Jesus invested in relationships and he invited people to come and see. The problem with the word evangelism is we probably have a lot of personal experience with it. Some of us, we have experience of trying to be evangelists and others, we have experience of trying to be evangelized by somebody else. But rarely was it just an invitation to come and see. Oftentimes it's been more about coercion or manipulating or arguing. Now, another Greek definition of evangelism is simply an enthusiastic advocate. Now, this is something I think we do all of the time. I mean, when you have an incredible experience, you go to a great new restaurant, you go see a new movie that you love, you go to a play, you go on a trip, you go to a museum. If it's an incredible experience, you want to share it with everyone else. You become an enthusiastic advocate. And you start to tell people, you need to go here. You need to experience this. You need to go see this thing. You might work it into conversations. You might post it on social media. You might tell all of your friends. But you know, sometimes it's so good, we know that we can't even do it justice. We can't even explain how good it is. You know, think about a time when we maybe try to explain a funny situation that takes place or a joke. And eventually we just say something like, you know what, you had to be there. 
You had to be there to experience it for yourself. You see, the key is, at some point, we, we stop trying to convince them that they'll love it, and instead, we want to convince them to try it for themselves. You see, the first followers of Jesus, they didn't use coercion. They didn't try to argue and explain things away. They simply said, come and see. Come and experience. You see, the goal was not to explain something. The goal was to experience someone. See, that's the core of evangelism. It's not to explain something. It's to experience a person. Jesus needs to be experienced personally. His grace, his mercy, his peace. We need to experience those things in our own life. So his followers told others, come and see. Come and meet Jesus for yourself. Now, some of you are thinking, though, yeah, that was a lot easier in the first century when someone could say, well, just go to the other side of the lake and you can meet Jesus face to face. But here's the deal. Jesus anticipated this and he thought it through. You see, he was only seen 12 times after his death and resurrection. But those people kept inviting people after they saw Jesus. They invited more and more, and the church grew and multiplied. And it's because Jesus told them to. He said, go and make disciples. And they took him at his word. Now, it's no accident, I think, that the apostle Paul calls the church the body of Christ. See, the goal of a church should be to be a place where people can come and experience the healthy body of Christ. You see, it's not just about inviting people to a building. It's inviting people to an experience with Jesus himself. We can invite people to come to worship. We can invite people to come to small groups. We can invite people to be a part of our serving opportunities. And through those things and the people engaged in them, people can experience Jesus himself. So you're probably here today because someone took the time to invite you to come and see now, when they did it, they might have stumbled over their words a little bit. It might have been kind of awkward and uncomfortable even, and that's normal. But, you know, they had the courage to just say, come and see, come check it out. I care about you so much that I want you to come and meet Jesus. You know, church, there are over 200,000 people who don't know Jesus, that are within a very short distance of our campuses. There are so many people who need to meet Jesus. We can't forget the importance and the seriousness of this. Now, 2 Peter 3, 9 makes it clear, God doesn't want anyone to, per to perish he wants everyone to come to repentance. That's God's heart for people. And for that to happen, he needs us to be his ambassadors, to be a part of his mission, to go and invest and invite so that more people will be in the kingdom. Tom Rayner says 98% of churchgoers never ever invite anyone in a given year. 
That's tragic. What if every person watching today, what if every person connecting with Calvary today would invite at least one person to come and see? Invite one person for our fall kickoff next Sunday. It's gonna be incredible. Imagine the kingdom difference if that would happen. You see, church, we are in the business of helping people meet and experience Jesus. Jesus isn't meant to be explained. He's meant to be experienced. Now, for some of you today, Jesus has a very personal invitation for you to experience a dynamic and living relationship with him for the first time. Now, maybe you're nervous about giving up control. Maybe you're nervous about changing your life. His invitation is as simple as come and see. You'll never fully understand it until you step out in faith and you experience it. You know, you can read books and articles and watch every YouTube video on things like high diving or skiing or mountain climbing. But you know what? Any of those activities, you'll never truly understand it until you take a leap of faith. You take a step forward or you start skiing down the mountain or you jump off the high dive. Until you actually do it, you'll never truly understand it. And so Jesus is inviting you into a saving relationship today. He's inviting you to experience what life should really be. Now, those of us who are already walking with Christ, we know how important this relationship is. It's a matter of life and death. We experience real life in him and we no longer have to fear death. And that makes an eternal difference. It's all about where we're gonna spend eternity. So who do you know that needs that kind of hope in their life? Who are you actively praying for to come into a saving relationship with Jesus? We should all have a list of people that we are praying for daily, people that we are investing in, people that we are willing to invite. So as we end our time together, I wanna encourage you right now to either get out your phone and get on the notes app or maybe take out your worship program or a piece of paper and a pen. And I want you to write down two names, right? Two names. First, write down someone you will invest in. Maybe someone you don't know very well. Maybe it's a next door neighbor, someone else at your workplace, someone that you don't know, but you wanna invest into to build a relationship, to get to know their story, to find out their felt needs. And then number two, who is someone you will invite? Someone you'll invite to come and see, maybe at a fall kickoff next week or your small group or a serving project. Who's someone you'll invite? Write those two names down and pray for them daily. Maybe put it on your refrigerator, put it on your bathroom mirror so that you see it every day. Well, on April 14th, 1912, the Titanic sank after hitting an iceberg. You've all seen the movie. But over 1,500 people perished. Only about a third of the passengers lived. But the shocking thing is how many more could have been saved. 
because almost every lifeboat that was lowered overboard could have taken many, many more passengers. They weren't filled to capacity. Lifeboat number seven had room for 65 people on it, but they only took 28. Lifeboat number one had room for 40 people, but they only took 12. 711 passengers and crew were rescued. And yet 40% of the lifeboat space was vacant. Even as hundreds and hundreds of women and children and men were floating in freezing cold water in life jackets. Only one lifeboat total even went back to try to save any of those people. But as you can imagine, there's a bunch of different reasons why this might have happened. There were some people who were convinced if they would fill the boats to capacity that they would somehow break apart. Like it was too much weight and too many people. But then there were also many people on the ship who were convinced that it was unsinkable. They didn't see the urgency of the situation. So Calvary, we need to keep on making room for more people in the lifeboats. We need to be on the lookout for people who need to hear the good news of Jesus, who need to experience a connection with him. And then it's your job and mine to invest and invite so that they can experience the life-changing and the life-saving power of Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for how good you are, how powerful you are, how gracious you are. We thank you for sending Jesus into our world so that we can be saved, saved from our sins, saved from death, so that we can truly have hope. And we thank you for the example that he gave to us on how to invest and invite. God, help us to have eyes to see people who need to be invited to experience Jesus. God, help us to be prayerful and vigilant to build your kingdom. And God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't have a saving relationship with Jesus. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, give them the courage to today claim that free gift of grace. Help them to reach out their hand and to grab yours and to receive the hope and the assurance that only you can give. And then God, use us as a church to grow your kingdom. God, we wanna see heaven become a more crowded place to fill every lifeboat to overflowing. And so God, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And we all say together, Amen.